Welcome to the Yule Mark. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. It's the Christmas episode. It was, yes, is the holiday episode and also the end of the year episode. Yes, because that uh, usually happens well. around Christmas. <laughs> it does. It's funny how funny that happens. Every year, too. I know. It's, it's very it's interesting. So, yeah. so, so, what's been going on? Well, there's still a lot of stuff coming out of the midterm and not just the results, but just um, what is the House going to do now that uh, that they're in power in January? And of course, one of the um, some of the chatter coming out is whether or not Pelosi is going to pursue impeachment with mm. the president, and especially around that uh, the illegal payments that the president made with campaign contributions to two of the women. So Stormy Daniels and the other woman's name, I can't remember. But the I was thinking about it earlier, trying to sort out what was the illegal deal? Wow, it must have been something really complicated. And John and I were talking about it. Um, and it was just using campaign contributions to pay the women off. It wasn't even something really complicated. So But but if you're like you're a successful multi billionaire, yes. why on earth are you using money like that? Would just that's that's, right, because don't you just have gold bricks laying around the house? Well, you at least have a couple of hundred thousand lying around you could use you, in cash that's yes. untraceable. I mean, goodness sake, who's his accountant? I, you, <laughs> it's a good question. Wow. Um, so, but, I mean, but here's the thing, though. I mean, weren't we all meant to sort of like find out about, finally about the Russia investigation? I mean, it seems that every time I turn on the news, it's like, and tomorrow Mueller will be doing something. And tomorrow never comes. Well, I mean, I, you wonder if that if that other shoe on Russia is actually ever going to drop and what that, I mean, there's so much uncertainty around what Mueller is going to turn up. And it's, it's, I mean, it's the liberal dream that there's going to be some smoking gun, but of course that's not going to happen. I, you feel like with what's happening with the campaign contributions it's going to be something really small. If that said, I mean, can't, this seems like a placeholder. I mean, if you look at the strategy so far, if Miller does a strategy, it's rolling up a Rico. I mean, basically, you start with the low person, you get them to flip on somebody totally higher, true. and you run the whole thing up and then basically do it as criminal conspiracy. Yeah. Now, you know, how do I know so much about this? Because I live in <laughs> Providence. And that's how they got Buddy Tiancy. Yes. Because at the end of the day, they didn't actually get Buddy for doing anything wrong himself. Right. They just got him as well, given that you know everybody else and they're all mm -hmm. bad. You're wrapped up in a Rico, you're part of a criminal conspiracy. So that's what it smells like to me. But I've always said, we've said this before, I think it's stunningly dangerous mm -hmm. to try and do a Rico on the sitting president of the United States, who, regardless of what one thinks of him, has 40% of the country all fired up and in his corner. And if you can't do that, you're just basically doing all the stuff that Democrats Clint cr criticized everyone for going after Clinton for. Yes. And this does not smell good. No, and I think it, I 100% agree. I think impeachment is exactly the wrong route. I think the liberal Bernie Sanders left wants that to happen. and But politically, there's no gain to it. It's just it divides the country even more. I mean, I am not. I don't think it's Bernie that's doing this. I think I, well, I think it's the far left that really wants no, it. No, I, I think it's basically the Pelosiites. I think it's the middle that are like, no, we got to get him because he took away yeah. our candidate. Yeah. I do. I feel like it's left because, as a sort of you know moderate, um, uh, I guess Democrat, I'll come out. I, I do not want impeachment at all. It tears the country apart. It's awful. So who I, wants it? 
Well, that was my yeah, but maybe because I don't it see is. I don't see Bernie jumping up and down screaming for this at all. But I do wonder if Pelosi's appetite for this is much is has uh, is less than it was too. Because I mean, if they actually want to move forward on infrastructure, I think that's maybe something they can work together on. I don't think Aren't she they about wants... to shut down the government. I think that was the latest yes, today, yes. right? Yeah. So we'll be working on infrastructure to keep the government open once we don't build the wall. I think yes, that's, it, that's right? right. Okay, cool. But does she want her speakership to be about the impeachment? Well, I mean, let's just turn to this now, right? First of all, the last time I checked, she was 108 years old. And she managed to get rid of, like, various challenges. Same age as Mitch McConnell. Yeah, you know, I know, but nonetheless, it's it's not about whether she's a woman or a man or whatever. It's like, can you boomers go away? Well, yeah. Just retire, for God's sake. Give somebody younger, maybe somebody about 60, the chance to govern. Yeah. I mean, enough already. Just go. Yeah. And on the Senate side as well, I mean, Chuck Schumer, I mean, as he's been minority leader for a long time, but I agree. I mean, just somebody... Somebody younger, 60. Wow. Like the picture of the three of them sitting in Trump's office today sort of screaming at each other. Mm-hmm. It was like sort of a retirement home for like angry granddads. I mean, like, this is it? This is how we run things? Yes. Well, it is, actually. Yes, it is, yes. actually. So. And actually, that's a nice pivot point to how do we run things. We, if the uh, state capital changes hands, as it did in Madison, Wisconsin, um, and as it did in North Carolina in the last election, the Republicans um, shrunk some of the powers of the governor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, that was a bit nasty, wasn't it? Yeah, and in front of protesters, closed-door meetings. I mean, it had whiffs of talking about Providence and sort of the backdoor deals. Um, and it's all legal as uh, as well. I guess the question is whether or not the governor will be able, to, the new governor of Wisconsin will be able to enact some of uh, some new reforms, replacing the old new reforms. But it's, it's, so it's just again, it's on a state level, right? You've gotten to the point whereby you can have a change in the state house, and people will basically use every tool they can mm-hmm. to stop that person governing. Yeah, this is not healthy. I mean, what no. damage can they do? I mean, don't you think the Democratic governor of, of coming into Wisconsin wants to socialize all property and drain blood mm-hmm. from children? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like exactly the most radical agenda. But oh my God, we must make sure that they can do nothing. This is not good, not healthy. And especially at the state level, where so much is actually done. I mean, we just think about the federal government when you know big stuff happens every. 500 years but the state government stuff does real stuff happens that Im- impacts people and impacts people's lives in pretty significant ways and so to think about that the just the gamesmanship is it's pretty it puts you it makes you even more jaded than you already are but speaking of gamesmanship what we about the incredibly deft hand or is it deaf ear, that uh, Theresa May has been pulling since the last time we spoke about Brexit. I mean, talk about three-dimensional chess. Ugh, Twelve-dimensional chess. I mean, so... Played by drunk people with I, blindfolds. Well, I mean, there's so many um, updates on what's happening. I, I, I've got updates on the updates. <laughs> right. Uh, so the last time we spoke, there was a deal. And her play was to say to everyone, look, we have a deal. And we have a deal in the sense that the European side, because remember, it's a bargain. Uh, there's two sides to this. They said, look, this is as much as we'll give. And she went, okay, we can live with that. And we can live with that because basically it's a fudge. It allows them a little bit more time. And it doesn't actually call time on the Irish border issue. Mm-hmm. And I've said before, this is the key thing. You can't be half pregnant, mm-hmm. right? Either you're in a customs union and there's no border or you're not in a customs union and there's a border. Mm -hmm. You can't be halfway. And what Teresa was trying to get everyone to buy into was some kind of 
kind of fantasy whereby it was true, but it wasn't true at the same time. I think one of my seven-year-old's books has this plot. But anyway, um, <laughs> lots of people then said this isn't going to work. And it was a broadside launched by Mervyn King the excellently named Mervyn King, who sounds like some kind of Welsh wizard, who used to run the Bank of England. And Mervyn did this broadside where he correctly said, so, so let me get this straight. What you've got here is a deal that nobody wants. It's going to cost you about $39 billion that gives you less than what you've got just now. And you can't even specify if it's actually worse than leaving with no deal at all. Mm -hmm. That's just not going to work. So to kept saying, no, 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 I'm going to go forward with the vote. But then it was perfectly obvious he was going to lose the vote. So now there's no vote. And that means he's going to go back to Europe, who have said, well, we're not going to renegotiate. Yes. Yes. And we're going to have a new series of negotiations as she tries to, quote unquote, seek guarantees. About what? But About I, the virtual status of a border that can't exist? But I wondered if she was playing in the 12-dimensional chess, playing, like, was she telling people to not vote for it in Parliament as a way to get more concessions out of the EU? But the EU aren't going to give you any more concessions. They don't have to give you anything. That's, the, like, who's in the driver's seat, the EU or the UK? It's never been the UK. I've decided to leave a club. The club had benefits. As I'm on the way out the door, I'd like to negotiate what I still get from the club. No, just no. But doesn't the EU, isn't the EU weakened if the UK leaves? And I mean, do they want... Well, it's never really been in. I mean, this is something else I've said. Think about it. It's never going to join the euro. Yeah. It has its own currency. It lives off a giant financial sector that trades euros and dollars and pounds. And the last thing it wants is a tighter set of European regulations on finance or anything else. So it's kind of always been present, mm -hmm. but never fully in. And what we're seeing now in Europe as a whole, if you think about the way that Brussels and the Italians have not really faced off and things going on, it, it is a kind of federal project. It's a kind of incipient federalism. Mm -hmm. And the Brits never belonged in that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they are where they are for various reasons. But the deal they're trying to strike is literally an impossible deal. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. It's not going to work. I mean, it looked like the best scenario out of one of the diagrams I saw was that the UK ends up in some sort of like Norway type position. But is there... But, but they don't, the thing is, the EU is not going to give you that. That's what I wondered. Is there any concession that would that will allow the, the, the EU will allow to violate any of those four freedoms? No, absolutely not. The four freedoms are Europe. So the yeah. notion that you can basically buffy, cherry pick... The right. four freedoms. It's just no, it's not gonna happen. So you end up with a fudge and an imaginary fantasy border. And if you don't and if you allow someone to violate it, then you've set the precedent, right? Exactly. And then, everybody can... and then the Hungarians and the Poles and everybody yeah. else kick off in migration. Yeah. You lose freedom of movement. After yeah. you lose freedom of right. movement, then capital controls did it and the whole thing right. unravels. Right. So no. Right. Um more excitement in, in <gasps> Europe. I don't know. There's a... Uh, um, Macron, the man of the or the leader of the rich, which exactly. Like that can be the title for so many world leaders, uh, but the yellow jackets really making their having their voices um, be heard. Totally. But what's interesting about the yellow jackets, apart from the fact that they sting, <gasps> haven't seen that one used in the press yet. But anyway, um, so the interesting thing about this is it's actually kind of proving what we're increasingly seeing in the actual research on the phenomena of why everybody's so pissed off mm -hmm. in populism, or whatever you want to mm -hmm. call it, right? And the emerging sort of consensus is this. 
it's actually not all culture or all economics, yeah, right? right? What it is is urban-rural. Mm-hmm. And what's happened, if you look at the US data, but it's also apparently true for France in this parallel studies, is that up until about the 1980s, if you lived in a mid-sized town, small city, and you had manufacturing, it was connected to other manufacturing spaces. So think about the way that Illinois and other mm-hmm. states used to be configured, right? And that was awesome. And you actually had above-trend wage growth, and you had cheaper costs. So your real wage was fabby. So these were good places to live. Then what happens is deindustrialization, globalization, Chinese mm-hmm. trade import, impact, globalization, the whole thing, right? Boom, those cities get killed. Then you simultaneously you get a shift to the service sector economy, which is split 80-20. 20% seriously well-paid jobs, 80% seriously badly paid jobs. And they all go into cities. So all the growth ends up in cities for 20 years. And then everybody else is basically on the skids. So this is the, the sort of the general picture you see right across the sort of the, the Western European, North American landscape. And you can tap into that, all of the cultural variables and mm-hmm. all the rest of it you want, but that seems to be what's driving it. So one of the uh, comments from the Yellow Jackets, uh, which I thought was interesting, was immediately it was like, oh, they're being hijacked by the nationalists or whatever. And no, they're completely decentralized. This is not it. Kicks off over a fuel tax. Well, why is right. that? Because they don't yes. believe in global warming. No, one of them said the following. Of course we care about the environment. But why should we be the ones yep. that have to pay for it? Particularly, and this is the bit that carried on, particularly when Macron hands out with people whose yachts, when they leave the harbor, mm-hmm. you know, put hundreds of tons of carbon out. And, and we are the ones who are paying for mm-hmm. this. So what's going on with that? Mm-hmm. And there is this recognition that, no, no, we know what's going on. You represent pe- not us, mm-hmm. right? You said you would represent us, but you don't. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I called Macron a, center, a centrist populist, mm-hmm. which is just an empty signifier, and he's just been bust for being exactly that. Well, I think that I had heard something similar about, I mean, not the yacht, but the airplane um, illustration that, you know, if you fly essentially more than one flight a year and you uh, it, it um, offsets anything that you might be doing at home, which yeah. is like not eating meat or, you know, meatless Mondays, whatever. Or what have you. And so I just thought that was such an inter- interesting point, too, of Macron just being his feet being held to the fire on who mm-hmm. do you represent? So I was in Europe last week and uh, one of my friends, Jonathan Hopkins, sorry for calling you out, Jonathan. I'm pretty sure it was him who told me this. There was a study in France that showed that it's some amazing number, like a third of all French people in the labor yeah. market yeah. commute 30 kilometers each way a day. Mm-hmm. Now, think about the fact that you've got a fuel tax on doing 60 clicks a day, which is about 45 miles. Mm -hmm. So you're just basically taking 10 bucks out of everybody's pocket the minute they get in the car every day. Mm -hmm. And what is, for most people, a low-wage economy? Yes. No. And when you write that law, you're like, oh, that's nothing. People can afford that. It's like, no, no, they really can't. No, the question of how do I get ahead hangs there, and no one's answering that question in in any way that feels genuine. But, but exactly, because at the end of the day, you know, whether it's Macron, whether it's politics here bought by the Mercers, yeah. whether it's dark money, yeah. whether it's, you know, the financing of UKIP and Brexit, the whole thing. We've generated trillions and trillions of dollars of wealth over the past 25 years, and it's all gone to a tiny sliver mm-hmm. of humanity who effectively control or seek to control our politics. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. It is, and yet the and yet we think just to bring it back to the U.S. for a second. You look at the base for the president, and I mean it's just the mismatch between supporting someone who's a billionaire and seeing their wages and seeing where they are in terms of their uh, their family incomes. Um, uh, hard pivot to, I mean, as we think about the close of two thousand eighteen. Um, 
that this has been the worst year for uh, for gun fatalities in, pu- in terms of public shootings. And, you know, uh, will we, with a Democratic Congress, get any sort of um, sensible legislation? Um, I think the answer around the table was no. There's just no incentive for this. Um, and no one I, on either side of the aisle is particularly interested in this. And it's one of those issues that you just want to kind of just sit down and um, and just cry because no, there's no incentive. And yet there's such huge incentives. I mean, the public wants it. And yet the people in power, to back to your point, Blythe, are just seemingly uninterested. So what is it? So basically 70% of people in, in opinion polls, time after time, basically want some... Nobody, nobody yeah. wants to take all your guns. It's not yeah. true. That basically some kind of relatively reasonable gun control. But what we know from the work of a political scientist called Martin Gillens and all mm-hmm. the people who have replicated his studies is that Congress and your local parliament, wherever you live in Europe or elsewhere, really doesn't give a damn about what the person in the middle thinks. Yeah, They produce policies yeah, right. that suit the preferences of the top 20% of income earners. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So if the top 20% cared about this, it would happen. Yeah. But they don't, so it doesn't. Yeah. And it's, it's so, um, it just makes you want to not show up. For in terms of um, political participation, because you just wonder how is my voice being heard? I feel like I should wear a yellow jacket right now. Exactly. No, go, in a sense, we're all yellow jackets. Yeah, we are all yellow jackets. Yeah. It's just a question, you know. It's it, this is something that Eric Lon. I'm calling it everybody today. Uh, my friend Eric Lonergan and I have been kicking around a manuscript for about a year, uh, if not more. And it's funny; it's evolved over time. And what it's come down to now is the four types of anger mm-hmm. that we see expressed. And we're mm-hmm. trying to sort of like write about the different forms of anger: legitimate anger, illegitimate, etc. Mm-hmm. But you know, what's driving it? Why are we all so pissed off? And it's a real shame because, in a sense, you know, the world's never been wealthier, mm-hmm. and yet we've never been more unhappy with the distribution of it. I've never been more confused about what's really driving it. Yeah. Huh. Illegitimate anger sounds very interesting to me. Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm going to pick up the book when it gets published. Well, you will. If it ever sees the light of day, we'll we'll see. We're trying. We're trying. There's more news in Europe, though. There is, of course, because another, I mean, this is, this is the end of the year thing. Yeah, it is. This is the sort of like, and at the end of the year, we're going to say goodbye to the people that left us in 2018. (laughs) And someone who's left us in 2018 is... Angela Merkel. Angela Merkel. Cue the harpsichord. Do you ever get the feeling that she just went, oh, fuck this, I'm done. (laughs) Right, seriously. I have had enough of you people. (laughs) I've tried my best and you're a bunch of shit. And And I'm I'm done with you. And we're done it. That's it. I'm done. That's it. I'm 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 off. I've tried my best. You people are morons. I've had enough of it. And that's basically what she's done. But interestingly, she's managed to find someone called Angret Kramp Kar I can never say this. Kramp Karenbauer. And uh, basically, she's Minnie Merkel. Wow. Yeah, so she's just found Minnie Merkel. Now, that's a bit of a problem because her own party doesn't like her anymore. So when you put Minnie-me into the party doesn't like her anymore, they don't yeah. like her anymore either. Yeah. So they're hemorrhaging conservatives, uh-huh. which means that the CDU sort of moves more into the center, which you might yeah. like. But then the SPD's dying, so they're not a reliable partner, which re-energizes the right. So, you know... Her nomination slash election beatification might actually be more degenerative than regenerative for German politics, which is 
Probably not what anybody needs at this point, particularly with Macron flailing mm. on the ropes. It seems like a big deal that her successor is a woman. But I thought that was interesting in the in the media, at least the U.S. media. It wasn't made out to be a big deal. I mean, we're still fighting this fight from 2016 around gender. So I thought that that was just an interesting perspective to me that it wasn't there wasn't even real talk about whether it be a man or a woman. And it was no, who it was. It's, and it's, 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 it's pretty much annoying. I mean, you know, Theresa May runs Britain badly, yeah. yes. uh, understandably, given who she's got to work with with but you know and uh, you know women politicians are we talked about nancy pelosi yeah. earlier on yes, right you know yep. i mean she's been around long enough now that if she retired she would have had a 50-year career in politics <laughs> yeah so you know yes. I, yeah, I think the sort of the backward mirror on 2016 might be a bit strange in that regard well yes it is though we the theme continues in 2018 the number of the record number of women. right so exactly. I, yeah it was just an interesting contrast just in the way that even the press on Theresa May is not that it's genderized or that right. the men booing her yesterday and, were. It never is. I mean, when Mrs. Thatcher was around, mm-hmm. I mean, they want when she was first elected, they wanted, oh, she's a woman. Yeah. And <laughs> and Thatcher herself was sort of like, yes, congratulations. You know, you've noticed this. Now can we move on? Yes. Yes. Very much so. Um, at the end of the year, I had I was thinking about sort of what to look forward for 2019. I guess mine was the jostling for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination. And already the Sorry, the sorry you look forward to this? Well, because I love the horse race. No, and right, this will surprise no, nobody. But the names that have dropped on and off the list, I think that'll be the thing that I'll be looking for. I mean, does it go to 400 names, which it probably is right now? Um, and where does it, where do the, when does the top actually become the top? Because mm, I think mm. the campaign, was, of course, it's already started but really begins in earnest in june so i think for next year i'm looking forward to the bit when we actually start taking climate change seriously and it might have happened because at this big meeting in poland that they're all at what happened was the global pension fund industry showed up Hmm. and basically said look uh, see all the things that you want us to do to fund your pensions we do that by buying equities in your corporations and your corporations are basically the top I think it's 105 corporations in the world that like produce 90% of the carbon, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Not by market cap, but there's like a specific number of them. And basically they've noticed there's a phenomenon that could happen called stranded assets, which is essentially people who or companies that produce tons and tons of carbon output could become sort of economically dangerous and eventually get regulated out of existence. At which point, if you're actually, you know, holding their stock, you got a big problem. So think about GM's move the other week, right? We're shutting down some plants. We're just going fully into electric. Why? Because they know that the internal combustion engine's got about 10 mm-hmm. years left. Right. So I need to get ahead of this now if I'm going to survive. Otherwise, GM stockholders are going to get completely busted. So these guys walked in. They run trillions of dollars of assets. They walked in the meeting and said, you really need to start taking this seriously because if our assets go to zero, nobody gets a pension. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, oh. right. Time to wake up, folks. Yeah, now, and that's connected to like real yeah, today dollars. Right, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, hopefully we get start to see the emergence. This is why I want Nancy and her people to go. They don't care. They don't get how serious this is. They need to go. They need to move on. So that we can get people who actually will be around long enough to yeah. see the consequences of their inaction. Yeah. yeah. And I hear you just in terms of the immediacy of the issue. It's, it's now. Right. It's like, right. We have about 15 years to do something on climate, about 15 years to do something on inequality. Yeah. And if we don't start now, we won't get there in 15 years. And then really, really bad stuff happens. Will there be snow? Well, No. Or maybe there will be. Yes. Maybe it'll be a kind of like ash falling from the sky <laughs> yeah. rather than the snow. Like an but yeah, but you know, we'll, yeah. we'll see. We'll yeah. see. We'll see if there'll yeah. be snow. But let's end with a happy Christmas. Yes. Though. One of the things that I love to do, because I'm kind of the family grinch, basically. 
bar humbug is um, to once anybody. I know exactly. <laughs> so the trees up and you know the mulled wine is no we don't do. But your wine. wife is German, so it must oh no, just she be, loves I all mean, this stuff. Com- absolutely, your house is like all know. decked out. Yeah, it totally is right. So, but one of the things is it then comes on the Christmas song list. Yeah, and one of the favorites on the Christmas song list is Can You Guess? Baby, it's cold outside. Absolutely. Me too. Hashtag me too. Hey, well, that's it. I mean, suddenly, you know, this is possibly one of my favorite Christmas songs. Your hands, they're just like ice. My mother will start to work. Beautiful. What's your my hurry? My father will be pacing the floor. Listen to the fireplace so roar. So really, I'd better scurry. Beautiful. Please don't well, hurry. Well, maybe just a half a drink more. But if you listen to the song, the song is basically two people playing with each other. And it's all just been dramatized. No, He's holding her down and but murdering her. I want to go home. No, stay for a little while longer. I encourage you to listen <laughs> to the song and the way that it's sung. I think there was a comment from Dean Martin's uh, daughter saying, oh, yeah. basically, you know, if my dad was alive to hear this, he would just his head would explode. Yeah, yeah. So I know, you know. it is a classic. It's really getting tied up in the moment. Oh my god, absolutely! <laughs> and it's such a good song because most Christmas songs suck. Yes. If you yeah. take this away, there's nothing left. Got nothing. There's nothing. nothing left. Yeah. Have another glass of mulled wine. Oh God, please, absolutely. And then sing. I don't know what Good King Wenceslas. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, to round things out, thank you so much to uh, to the podcast team here of Alex and John, and welcome to our new engineer, Dan. Uh, we will see you in the new year. Yes, we will. We hope. Till then, be safe, don't swim with sharks, and make sure that your relatives are your relatives. 